I was like the cat, like, this is how light skinned I am. When my coaches used to yell at me when I was younger, I used to cry all the time. That was me. That was definitely me. Like, I couldn't stand that. So, and, and my uh, my mom told me, she was like, if you would just listen to the message, like, what they're saying and not how they're saying, she said, that'll help you. And, like, I kind of took that and rolled with it. And then mm. I I would say this, that when, when you come from a single-parent home, you're put in a position where you have to grow up a little bit faster. I, I had a little brother as well. So now not only am I doing my thing, but I also have to be some type of figure for him as well. Brandon, welcome to Millennial Manhood. Thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me. So I've got Brandon Taylor here with me, uh, who's got quite an interesting story. But for folks who don't know who you are, what's your background? What's your what's the 10,000 foot story, man? What, who's Brandon? Why are you on here? What's 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 interesting about you, man? Right. Right. Uh, so I, I guess I'll start like at the beginning. Uh, like he said, my name is Brandon Taylor. I go by BT here in the, in the Nashville community. Um, I'm originally from Columbia, Tennessee. Uh, that's where I was uh, raised at. I stayed there for probably till I was about 13. And then I got into Brentwood Academy. It's a private school up here in Nashville. Um, so I went there my freshman year, played uh, football, basketball and track, man. I did some fine art, all that good stuff. Um, and then I got a football scholarship to Houston Baptist University. It's a small D1 school in Houston, Texas. I uh, went out there, played all four years. I got my degree in kinesiology, wellness management. And uh, when I left, I knew I wanted to come back home. Uh, I wanted to be at Brentwood Academy. So when I left, uh, after graduation, I came right back. I uh, did some substitute teaching. I was coaching. Uh, but that's, I would say, probably the spring semester of my senior year in college. I had got into training, um, just kind of working with some of the guys that I played with, helping them get ready for their uh, combines and their pro days and stuff like that. That's kind of where it started. Uh, although I used to come back home in my off seasons and I used to train kids here and there, just just kids I knew or that grew up that knew me. Um, their parents reached out and just asked for some one-on-one help. So I guess that's where the basis of my training started. Uh, so when I came back, I got into coaching and I was trying to get the kids to understand that it takes more than just, you know, your regular set practice schedule to be great at something, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like that's that applies to anything. If you want to be great, you can't just get by with the bare minimum. Um, so I kind of like ingrained that in the kids I was coaching and I, I started training and it started with about like two, three guys. And then it got up to 10 or 15. And the next thing you know, I got about like 15, 20 guys. And at that point, that's when I was like, okay, I can't do all of this by myself. So I already had uh, a friend, Radira Noor. He was already in the process of training. Um, I just knew he needed, he needed more clients. So, uh, he had a brand already started called, it was called at the time Evolve Sisu Fitness. Uh, it was mm-hmm. him and a couple of the guys he knew. Uh, they were already doing like personal training. He was the only one at that time that was training athletes. And um, I kind of reached out and we both thought it would be a good idea. And I, like I said, I got help, basically. I got like three guys that helped me as far as training. And, and we kind of hit the ground running from there. And just over time, we built our relationship. And and mind you, Radir went to school with me at Brentwood Academy. I'm actually really good family friends with him. Um, I played ball with him and one of his younger brothers. We, he, Radir is a year above me. Akil is a year under me. Uh, so we all moved through Brentwood Academy together. And then I coached his two youngest brothers at Brentwood Academy. Um, so like I said, I'm, I'm really good friends with him, but like I said, we all kind of bonded together and we started training together. And I kind of realized at some point that somebody would have to like help the business operate. So I kind of took that step back from training 
And now I kind of just oversee the operations of things and, and it kind of helps them. Uh, I do a lot of community engagement. I, hence, I'm here on the podcast. I, like I said, I've done numerous podcasts just to spread spread brand awareness. And, and I would say the main focus of our brand is uh, we're an athletic performance company, but we also do just, you know, personal training as well for people who aren't quote unquote athletes. Uh, but we just try to help people reach, reach their full potential, whether that's on a, on a playing field or not. Um, and, and that's kind of where we, where we are in the community. We try to help these kids understand that, you know, not to be cliche, but they are more than an athlete. Uh, so we're big on grades. Uh, we're big on, you know, trying to help out in the community, trying to get them to see like uh, they have a lot to offer because they are athletes. So, you know, they are in a position where eyes are on them. So it's up to them to take advantage of that and just kind of help, make a name for themselves, whether that be athletically or, you know, just in the world in general. So um, I would say that's the big gist of ESL. Uh, also, mm-hmm. I just want to throw this out. We changed our name since then because we realized that we were more than just fitness and we became Evolve Sisu Foundation. Uh, it wasn't a major change, but it, it was something we felt needed to be done because we didn't want to just be known as the that fitness company. Yeah. Man, okay. So, speaking of being more than an athlete, I want to I want to take it back, like way back to the to the beginning of what you said. You know, you said mm-hmm. you uh, grew up in Columbia, Tennessee, which for folks yes, who sir. don't know anything about Middle Tennessee, Columbia <laughs> ain't a thriving metropolis. Okay, that's no, a sir. small town. Um, don't be shocked you see a tractor driving around somewhere. You know, there's exactly. a, and then you go to Brentwood Academy, which again, for folks who don't know, like in the greater Nashville area, that's one of the premier. Um, quite frankly, really expensive schools to go to, you know? Um, so a lot of the, you know, don't be surprised to see a Range Rover in the lot, um, or, or more expensive. So talk to me about the culture shock going from Columbia to Brentwood Academy. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Columbia is just, it's not that type of place, right? Like, uh, I think the biggest thing in Columbia is Mule Day and and people don't even know what exactly people don't even know what mule day is and and down there it's a huge thing like it's like nationally alone um and and i I think going from that small town community of columbia i at that time probably around sixth grade i was slowly being introduced to brentwood i was playing aau basketball in brentwood um Mm -hmm. so i was already traveling up to brentwood for practices and my I, i can i can vividly remember going to my first practice in brentwood and coming down granny white the houses are ginormous right so i'm yeah. i'm in my head i'm like these have to be famous people these have to be rich people so seeing that was a culture shock and um i guess just the atmosphere of just to me brentwood supported me and i can't say columbia didn't support me but i just i just knew that where i wanted to go i felt like at that time columbia couldn't provide that for me uh, coming from Columbia, like you said, it's a small, close town. Man. I, I can name, I'm still good friends with all my friends I went to middle school with. And, uh, um, at that time I was one of the top, I was one of the smartest guys in the class, you know what I'm saying? And then I yeah, come yeah, to yeah. Brentwood and then I'm, I'm, I'm average, right? Like I'm normal. It's kids up here scoring 34s and 36s on ACTs and stuff. So, um, that was a big change for me. Uh, being around all that money was a big change for me. Like I said, I'm not by no means rich at all. I come from a single family home. So just being in Brentwood in general was just a big culture shock. And and like you said, seeing my friends drive Range Rovers, not mommy and daddy driving them, um, Porsches and stuff like that. It's big names that come to Brentwood all the time. I remember uh, Titans players used to come to our football games in high school and College coaches would fly in on helicopters to come watch us play. Uh, so just stuff like that, man, it's kind of like you got to get used to it quick because, like you said, it is a culture shock. Uh, I can't say that, you know, 
just to be blatantly honest, like being around a bunch of white people, that didn't shock me. Like I said, I had been around that type of environment in sixth grade. Uh, And then, you know, I think being raised with my mom, it it was, you know, you treat everybody the same, right? So I never really, I just always been myself, always, you know, been genuine. So, um, and then the things that I would experience in Brentwood, like uh, just for lack of better words, I guess just, you know, they call it DWB, right? Driving while black, stuff like that. Uh, It didn't surprise me because in Columbia, it's more in your face. Like, uh, so not that far from Columbia, 15 minutes is Pulaski. And that's where the KKK originated, right? Uh, so like I said, just racism and, you know, just stuff like that in the community, it's more in your face in Columbia. It's there, it's prevalent. Like you grow up kind of just being like, okay, this is how it is. Right. And Brentwood wasn't like that. Like I never, DWB happens wherever. Right. But I I felt, I felt like they supported me. I felt like they loved me and stuff like that. So just from a culture standpoint, I never got no bad vibes from Brentwood or anything like that. So, um, yeah, that was, I would say those were the major things as far as a culture, man, that just, I just, I had to learn to deal with. I can't say it shocked me. It was just like, okay, this is how it is. This is how I need to react. This is how I need to, you know, and if you do what you're supposed to be doing, nothing is a problem, right? Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. What you said about Columbia and Pulaski and, um, and all that culture, then going to the Brentwood culture where, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's a whole lot of money there. Yeah, I mean, most a whole, definitely. whole, whole lot of money. Now I, I'm curious about this growing up with a single mom in a rural mm-hmm. town in Southern middle Tennessee, you know, did your perception of, I'm going to say money, but I don't mean money. And here's what I mean. Like, mm-hmm. did your perception of money change? But what I mean by that is like, did your perception of what's possible for your life change once you were 100%. put in that environment? A hundred percent. Growing up. I think when you play in sports, everybody wants to go to the NBA and the NFL and stuff like that. And yeah. in my head, I kind of, you know, I think the first thing I ever wanted to be was a storm chaser, right? Like I used to love tornadoes and hurricanes. So that, you know, in my head, I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a surgeon. And of course, you know, on my, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like NBA player slash storm chaser, right? So going up there and and I was really close with some of the families up there. Like they, you know, they almost took me in per se. I felt like I was a part of their family and, sitting down with their dads. Like I said, I come from single family home, right? So just being able to have that type of role model for me with these type of dads and talking to them and listening to their journey and the things that they did, I was like, you know, that didn't seem hard at all, right? Go to college, do what you got to do, get a good career, take care of your family. And like, that was what became a goal for me at that point was, okay, I got to make it like that because I seen... I seen how he ran his household. His kids weren't spoiled at all. I think some people, you know, here at Brentwood or Williamson County, it's like spoiled rich white kids, right? Well, the kids that I was cool with never came off like that. He made them work. Uh, they had to get summer jobs. They had chores. He wasn't just throwing money out. They had to buy their own car. And it wasn't, you know, the nicest cars, but it was still nice, right? So just seeing that kind of opened my eyes up to what money can do uh, and, and what was possible for me. And it made me feel like I was in a better position to get that. Um, so yeah, just like you said, just coming from where I come from and seeing that it was like, oh, okay. So it is possible. It is real. It is in grasp. I, this is how you do it. Right. And, and then, so for that, I was always thankful for those relationships. And I was thankful for my mom for putting me in those, in those situations to learn and, and raising me the way she did. So, cause I, I obviously I had, I made some great relationships being in Brentwood. So, yeah. Yeah, just the connections and like you said, just surrounding yourself with people and even having those dads there that can tell you like, hey, man, this ain't rocket science. 
Right. Like, I mean, exactly. I, I was talking to somebody about this the other, literally the other day. We had a baby shower, and um, and two of the guests, um, we were talking about some real estate investments, and and um, I brought up the point how like none of this stuff is rocket science. It just takes somebody mentioning it to you at some point and explaining it for your light bulb to go off and be like, oh wait, you can like normal people can do this. Right. Exactly. And just <clears throat> you to, know, just to add to your point. Um, I just, one of my good friends just became my financial advisor. And I, like I said, I, I, didn't, I didn't come for money, right? So just my mom always told me never ask her for money advice because she didn't do it the right way. She said, find somebody mm. who came for money or has money and figure out what they did. So I was always asking questions about credit, savings, investments and stuff like that. But I never really got hands on with it. And my friend, like I said, recently just put me on the game with, um, he just became my financial advisor. He kind of laid out a plan for me, asked me what my goals were. And like, I feel like I'm in control, right? You know, I I don't feel like I'm lacking. I don't feel like I'm wanting. So yeah, just to add to your point, like just, it just takes somebody mentioning to you for you to kind of jump on board and be like, I'm in it. Yeah. Now let me ask you this. So you, you, um, you play football at Brentwood. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's a top tier program. Yes, sir. Um, and you're good enough to go D one. So that means you were either the man or one of the men. Oh like, no, I was one, one of many, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. I so there's a, people, oh, yeah. there's a lot of talent. Oh yeah, there's a lot of talent, best, but you were still a good, do, like a good yeah, player to make a D one. Yeah, I, I'm not. I'm humble, but at the same time, like I knew what I was right. And uh, but the guys on my team, like Jalen Ramsey, plays for the yeah. Rams. That's one of my good friends. He was on. We played on the same high school team. Uh, Derek Barnett was a defensive end for the Eagles. He played on my football team. Um, Demontre Wade. Like it, it was so many guys, dude, that just were freak athletes, right? Yeah. And I always tell people I never liked football. I never liked. Mm. It. I just was. I I went D one on accident. I just was really good at running away from people. So uh, <laughs> I tell people that all the time. I, I wanted to play basketball, and I had a couple of like small school offers. But at that time, it was like when D1 told me, like, we'll pay for everything. I was like, cool. That's all I needed to hear. So, well, so, okay. So you were one of the men, but you were like, one. top. You, you're, you don't make a D1 without being top tier. It's just, exactly. like, granted, you ain't playing for the Rams, but you know, you, you still <laughs> got a free education. So right. you go from, you go from an environment where you're a senior, you're one of the like lead dudes, you, mm-hmm. all the hype around your senior season, all the hype around, you know, signing day, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. And then you get to college and you realize, oh, damn, everybody here was the man. Exactly. Starting at the bottom of the totem pole is what we tell kids all the time. Yeah. So, uh, so, so explain that, like explain that experience and coming to terms with that. Yeah. That for me, that was like I said, it wasn't bad at all for me because I knew what I was there for. Right. I knew that I was there to get an education. I knew I, w- I, I just so happened to be playing football for my education. And in my recruitment, I had got offers from around Middle Tennessee, FCS, like Tennessee State, UT Chat, Tennessee Tech, stuff like that. Uh, but Houston Baptist was the first per- – they, they offered me before I, like, blew up on the scene, per se. And it was Houston, right? So I took my official yeah. visit out there, and I, that was the furthest west I have ever been at the time. I had been – I've been to almost every state that's around Tennessee, obviously out here in the southeast. But like I said, that was my first time being to Texas, and I, I fell in love with the city at that point. And I came out there, and like you said, you just – you get out there – and the first thing I remember was recruiting is all a lie. Like they tell you what you want to hear, right? They told me I was the uh, only receiver they were recruiting. And then I get there and my roommate is also a receiver and they tell him the same thing. Uh, uh, but there was no bad blood. It just was like, oh, okay, so this is how recruiting goes. And um, 
And like you said, we both talked about how we were the man's in high school. One of his good friends went big D1, uh, just like mine's did. And we both knew what we were out there for. And it, it was just a grind. We were at a new program, too. Like, they had just went D1 the year before. Um, so, like I said, not only were we starting at the bottom of the totem pole, but we were at the bottom on the totem pole of the bottom team. So, yeah. I, I went from blowing teams out by 70 to getting 70 hung up on me. And I, I got humbled real quick. So, uh, it, it's a learning process. But I feel like every athlete goes through it. Unless you're just one of those generational type guys where you just hit the ground and, you know, you just start on campus. Uh, so, like I said, for me, it, it wasn't a tough transition at all. It just was a learning experience. Um, coming from Brentwood Academy, I think everybody has been at the bottom of the totem pole and we have to work our way up. And that's just kind of how we're programmed over there at Brentwood Academy. Uh, so, like I said, when I got to college, I knew what to expect. I knew it was going to be the same thing. So you just kind of apply that man side again and you just get, get to work, really. I, um, I interviewed one of my good friends is uh, uh, Jay Robertson. Um, oh, Jay, for, yeah, uh, from Nashville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. played for the he played for the Vols, but um, he yeah, we played against to, each other uh, in high school. Yeah, he went to NBA. So mm-hmm. I interviewed him for this podcast, like I don't know, maybe two years ago, and right. him and I were talking about how <clears throat> more prepared he felt going to a program like Tennessee coming out of NBA because yeah, of sure. the discipline that you can say what you want about these private schools, but one thing they do is, is they got man, they they got they got money to make this thing run like a like a well machine and it don't stop you yeah know, did uh, you notice that as well a hundred percent man like uh and i wouldn't even say just from an athletic standpoint man just from an educational standpoint i get to i remember i got to college and uh i had guys that couldn't write, write a three paragraph essay and mm. i just was like how did you get through school and they just was like when you play football out here in texas you know it's a different different religion out there they just was like if you good they just kind of usher you through the system and i just was like that was not the case for us like if i remember us having to play on a friday but the assignment was due on friday but since they knew we were going to be gone that day we had to turn our stuff in early and it, it was still going to be graded just like everybody else's right so to me that's college prep because the same thing kind of happened when i got to college it was like time management was a big thing and they didn't care that you were a football player at the end of the day you were a student first and coming from BA, like grades matter. Like people kind of get that perception that jocks are dumb and stuff like that. But for me, I took, I took pride in knowing where I come from. And, you know, you not only am I representing uh, myself and I'm representing Brentwood Academy, I'm representing my mom and, and my family and stuff like that. So I took my education serious. And like Jay said, like that discipline thing, the difference was from high school, there's nobody tell, over your shoulder telling you, hey, this is due at this time and you need to make sure when you get to college, is you're on your own. But like I said, I was programmed from Brentwood Academy to know, like, if my assignment's due on Thursday, don't wait till Wednesday night to try to do it, right? So yeah. I took advantage of all my study hall hours. I took advantage of the time before and after practice and stuff like that. So, yeah, kudos to Jay for, for saying that because I knew it was the same way over at NBA. It might have been a little tougher. I know NBA is a little bit more disciplined, a little bit more strict. So, um no, yeah, I think it was the same way across the board, though. Yeah, so also, I want to know, when did you visit Houston? Because if you visited any time in the summer, I know you didn't fall in love with that humidity, man. Oh, no, nah, man. It was... <laughs> it was like, it I had was, to uh, be like January. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I did... Uh, I remember, so I did the All-Star game here in Tennessee. It was like in December, I think. It was like early December. And right after I got done with the All-Star game, um, it was maybe a couple of weeks out. Like maybe before Christmas or a little bit after Christmas, that's when I went and visited. So it wasn't nobody told me that. Nobody told me how hot it was going to be until I got to Houston in the summer, and that humidity jumped on me hard. Bro, I was my best friend lives in Houston, and I was in his wedding a couple of years ago, and it was in August. 
and it was outside. Just, no, hell no, no. I, oh. <laughs> it wasn't gonna be outside, but the pictures were outside. Right. Oh yeah, that, that's man. tough. That's tough. Man, the pictures alone, I was like, uh, this dude. We were my wife and I were at the Galleria, and mm-hmm. um, we were just like, man, we're from Tennessee, and like we know hot, but this is like a different. It's level. different, man. Hot. <laughs> it and was this different. Dude, and this dude, I will never forget this. I don't know how to do a. Uh, I don't. I don't know where he was from. It was like either Nigeria or somewhere in West Africa. So he had like a strong accent. Oh um, yeah. But he explained it so well. He was like, "Yeah, it's like somebody opened up the oven door and you stick your head in there. That's what it feels like." I was like, "Yes, that's 100%. exactly what it feels 100%. like." Hundred percent. I was like, "Yeah, you're right. That's a great explanation right there, man." <laughs> this is terrible, man. Uh, okay, okay. So you you have your years in college. You um. Did you try out for the NFL at all? Do you have any opportunities oh, there? No, no not I, this is my NFL story, right? So we get done with the season and and at this time my boy Jalen, he's already in Jacksonville, right? Yeah. He was in Houston playing and gave me tickets, but I, I didn't go for some weird reason. But um he they couldn't fly back to Florida because there was like a storm or something. So they had to wait a couple of days. So he said he was going out, asked me to meet him. This was like my first time seeing Jalen since he'd been in the NFL. And I, I come to a club. I know I'm, I don't belong yet. I'm a college kid, right? So I'm out in line and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at Houston Rockets players and, and, and different athletes and pros with all these girls. And I'm seeing a bunch of cars that I can't pronounce. And I'm just like, where he got me at, man? And like, I'm not even in line. That's how intimidated I am. I'm just like, I'm going to stand off to the side. He comes out. Jalen looks like a totally different person. Like he's super swole. He looked like he got taller all of a sudden. And at that point, I it kind of hit me that, yeah, NFL is not for me. Like, I don't want to try it, right? Because I don't like getting hit. And I'm like, I can't imagine Jalen hitting me now. So that kind of like <laughs> checked, that kind of checked me out right there. And I just remember at the end of the year, like at the end of your season, you know, coach calls you to your office. And the first thing he asks is, do you have any aspirations to play pro? And a couple of guys already went to their meeting and I, it was my turn. I go in there and I tell coach straight up, I'm like, coach, I'm not even going to waste time, brother. I don't want to play in the NFL. I don't want to be a pro. I want to get my degree. And I'm going to go live a normal life. You know, I, you've been playing football that long. I had knew that I wasn't even going to try the NFL, man. Yeah. I like how you said you didn't like getting hit. You just you just knew how to run away from people real That's fast. That's it. That's all I was good at, man. That's what, And people wonder why I'm fast. I'm like, if you got a 225 dude trying to, you know, knock the taste out your mouth, you run fast too. Mm, oh that sounds terrible um <laughs> it's, it's like uh uh actually i was talking to i was talking it was jay actually who told me this you know i came to america when i was 10 so like football wasn't really a thing right like my dad didn't grow up on it so i never played football <laughs> and i was like and i don't really want to have like a car wreck over and over and jay was like you know i'm 6'3 like 230 he was like hey bro you would have been in the box so you would have gotten hit a lot i yeah, was like 100%. yeah that, <laughs> i was like i'm glad uh, i'm glad i still got my brain I got, um, I, got a, I got a funny story about Jay, and I don't even know if he remembers this, but we were playing NBA at their field, and he played – you know, he, in high school, a lot of us went both ways. He's on defense. I'm on offense. And yeah. I got, like, a nasty crack back. I just smashed, like, their corner, right? And, like, I got so hyped, and I start celebrating that when I look up, I didn't notice that Jay Sean is running at me, and he didn't even, like, hit me as hard as he could. He hit me <laughs> enough to where I went in the air, and I fell, and I just was looking at Jay – and I remember, I, I think I called, I know I called him something dirty, but I was like, he just totally ruined my moment. Like, I couldn't even put the clip on my highlight at that point because I was like, Jay Sean <laughs> totally ruined it. I'm going to make sure to clip that scene right there. I'm going to text it to him later. <laughs> so he knows for sure. I'm going to be like, listen hey, to I know podcast, he remembers man. it. I know he does. 
Um, all right. So, so you, you, you see Jalen as a, you know, a, a different human being and, and the club mm-hmm. and as beautiful as the women are, it's not worth, you know, uh, getting dominated, uh, nah. and, and, and at the combine or whatever. Um, so you, you come back to the real world, you come back to Nashville and you, you start right. getting involved with, with these different athletes. Now, are you only working with, um, kids and teens and such, or are you working with adults as well? Folks in their twenties yeah, and thirties. At that time, I'm only I was only doing college, high school, and middle school. I think maybe some youth. I think I started getting into some youth at that time too. Uh, but I wasn't really into quote unquote personal training, but more so just the athletes that I knew I had to be in touch with. And like at that time, I was doing it for free. I wasn't even charging. It was just something I liked to do, and and, and it was something I felt like um, benefited me because it, it kept me busy per se. Uh, And it kept me focused. And like I said, it kind of gave the kids something to look forward to other than just, you know, traditional football practice. Uh, I think sometimes that was the first time any of them had gotten like some hands on training and stuff. And uh, obviously I have like uh, some type of reputation around Brentwood Academy. So I guess getting it from me at the same time kind of helped. And uh, it just kind of like I said, it was like a snowball effect. Once the ball got rolling, you know, my number was getting out and people was calling me and texting me. Can I come? Can I come? so that's just how it started. I, I didn't get into like personal training until later. Um, and at that time I wasn't even coaching anymore. So what's the difference you've noticed between training and coaching, you know, like 15 year olds versus like 26 year olds, uh, in college, I think college, once you're in college, I think you realize like, I'm a man, I'm a grown man, you know? Um, mm. so it's like, it's a different approach. And I kind of was – that's when I started, like, really thinking about coaching was, like, my senior year. I was looking how different coaches coach. And I really loved my coach uh, because he used to call himself, like, a people's guy. He didn't have to do all the yelling and cussing you out and, and all that to get his point across. It was, like, the way he would coach is if I ran a bad route, he BT, come here. He'd be like, what the hell was that? And I'd be like, I know. And, like, that that's to me, that's coaching, right? That was it. Like, yeah. I didn't need him to, like – degrade me in front of the whole team or nothing like that and that's kind of how I became I became a coach like that but I also train like that like I don't do all the yelling I'm passionate about what I'm doing but I I don't need to yell at you or degrade you or cuss you out to get you to get the point and I think that's my thing I can take a 15 year old but I talk to him like the 26 year old because it's it's out of respect right you I'm not here to make you feel less than I'm here to help you um so that to me that was that was a difference um another difference is when when you're older it's not much I can teach you, right? So mm. it's more so perfecting your craft. It's like um, when I was training my college guys, it was like, what do you need to work on? I need to work on, you know, A, B, and C. So it's like, okay, bet. So my job now is to create a drill or create a game-like situation where we can hone those skills. Whereas these high schoolers, I'm like, let me see your film. All right, well, you suck at A, B, and C. So <laughs> let me help you figure out how to get yeah. better at that. So that that's another big difference. And then um, just the maturity, I mean, I guess that's common sense, right? Like my my lingo with the 26-year-old is going to be a little bit different when we're talking about coverages and, and schemes and stuff like that because he's college or college level, almost pro, whereas, you know, high school is a little bit more simple depending on what program you came from. Um, but I guess that helps. But I will say that helps me because my job, I always train to get you better for the next level. So when mm-hmm. I'm training my high schoolers, I train them as if they're college. And if I'm training my college, I train them as if they're pros. Uh, because I, I don't I don't feel like it benefits you for me to get you ready for, you know, your current situation. If I'm training yeah. a middle schooler, I'm training him like he's in high school because I want him to excel at his level and beyond. 
It's interesting what you said about the maturity and about like knowing you're a man. You remember Brandon Jennings when he played in the league? Of course like, I remember Brandon Jennings. Yeah. So so I remember listening to an interview with him because he went high school to play in Europe. Mm-hmm. He skipped Overseas. college. He played in Europe for he went a to year. Italy. Yeah. And he came back and his rookie season in the NBA, because that was right when the NBA Institute, like you had to be out of high school yeah, one year. year and I remember he dropped like 55 in like his first month in the league. That was, and that I, was a, a, a record, by the way. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a big, big, big deal for a rookie. Mm-hmm. And I remember I listened to an interview with him like a couple of years later. So this is probably 2013 or 14 when I'm listening to this interview. And they were like, well, how were you like, how were you able to do that? And he was like, look, bro, I went to Europe. And I went from being coddled by the entire world to playing with a bunch of grown men mm-hmm. who got like mortgages and families and like right. they don't they don't give a damn who you are. And some of these dudes oh. are like some of these dudes are like connected to the mob. And he, he's like, there's all kind like you gotta like be careful. <laughs> like right. you can't just like run your mouth, like 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 it, you ain't skipping class. Like you gotta show up to practice or exactly it's your job. You. Yeah. Right. And he, he was just talking about how different that entire experience was because, like, again, in Italy, don't nobody care that you're Brandon Jennings. They don't care if you're the nah. rival's number one athlete in the country. Nope. Oh, damn. Um, nope. They're like, you better you better get your ass out there and play. Exactly. Um, and, and I thought that was a really interesting dichotomy because the reality of it is, um, you know, there is a lot of stuff in college. Like, my, my best friend, um, the guy who got married in Houston, he ran – he was a world-class athlete running track at Baylor. Mm-hmm. And I remember he told me, he was like, bro, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I don't even know where I would like, how I would go about getting my books for like next semester. Like they just show up. Right. <laughs> I was like, that's ridiculous, man. Like, come on. <laughs> like, do, do you, do you, do you see yourself having to break some of that mentality sometimes? Like, especially like as you're getting, as these, some of these guys are getting out of college or like that. Mm-hmm not coddling i don't want to call it coddling but to a degree it is like stuff's taken care of for you in a lot of ways it is still college it's not the pros Mm -hmm. do you see yourself having to break folks of like some of these bad habits at all um for me no because i don't work like that um at ba one of the things we learned is uh mom is not allowed to email the coach right so Yeah, that's not hold a, on. Explain that. I didn't know that. Yeah, was a thing. so so say I get sick and I can't make it to practice. Uh, yeah. My mom, my mom can email coach, but he'll email back and say that's fine. Brandon needs to call me because his uh, his whole philosophy was like you're going to be a man and you need to. You can tell me this. I don't need mom telling me this. And it was kind of making mm. you get out your comfort zone to make you grow up. And that kind of it didn't bother me because like I was I'm, I guess it was something that made sense. It clicked right. So I was like okay, yeah. so I'll call coach. Hey coach, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be sick. And of course, the football coach is going to be like, are you sick, sick? Like, can you make practice? I'm like, coach, look, I'm sick, man. If I could be there, I would. But if I can't, I can't. So that that philosophy sticks for me with training and, and just my whole brand. And what we pride ourselves on is I don't chase no kid. I don't care how good you is. I'm not going to kiss no ass. I'm not going to chase. Um, if I see a kid I'm interested in, I'll ask you, like, who do you train with? Do you want to train with somebody? But other than that, like, I'm not going to. I'm not going to chase you and, and I'm not going to I'm not going to continue to chase you to make you better. Right. Mm-hmm. Um because the way I see it being in Texas and seeing these athletes from the you know the great states like Florida and California, I bet you nobody's chasing them to make them work out. Mm-hmm. I, if you want to be great, you want to be great. And if I'm giving you the pl- blueprint on how to be great, you can either follow it or you can just not pay attention to it. And and the kid the kid next to you will just outwork you because he followed that blueprint. So that's just mm-hmm. how, that's how we that's how we operate and we stick to that code. 
like I said, I don't, I don't care how good you are. I, I bet you I can find somebody better. That's my philosophy. I love that whole concept of like mom can't email the coach. Uh, no, nah, yeah, he ain't. They not, they not going for that. Yeah, they not that's going super for interesting. That. I wonder, I wonder. Um, maybe you could speak speak on this coming from a single parent household. Um, how much a lot of those kids need that male figure, and how 100%. much of an impact that has on them. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, just call a spade a spade. I, I I didn't learn this till college, man. Like my mom could not teach me how to be a man, right? Because she was a woman. Right. Uh, she could just teach me how to treat a woman, and she could teach me how to you know be respectful and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, she just you know physics and anatomy and whatever you want to call it. Like she just could not teach me how to be a man. And so she had me in sports at a young age, and I used to hate male authority just because I never had no father figure in my life, right? Mm. Um, I was like the cat, like, this is how light-skinned I am. When my coaches used to yell at me when I was younger, I used to cry all the time. That was me. That was definitely me. Like, I couldn't stand that. So, and, and my uh, my mom told me, she was like, if you would just listen to the message, like, what they're saying and not how they're saying, she said, that'll help you. And, like, I kind of took that and rolled with it. And then mm. I, I would say this, that when, when you come from a single-parent home, you're put in a position where you have to grow up a little bit faster. I, I had a little brother as well. So now not only am I doing my thing, but I also have to be some type of figure for him as well. So I kind of figured that out at a young age. And what I used to do was I used to find the, the the male figures that I liked, whether that be you know celebrity or just my friend's dads and stuff. And I used to always pick the best quality about them. And I used to say, like, I'm going to add this to my repertoire. And and that I used to always do that to to the point where I'm like, okay, this is going. I really like how he does this, so I'm gonna take this. I don't like how he does that, but I like this. So I'm gonna take this and I'm gonna implement that in my life. You know what I'm saying? So, um, to your point, like I said, I think that coaches, trainers, uh, those those dads that are taking other kids to practice and stuff. They, I think they matter for sure because you don't know who's watching. You don't know what they're watching. You don't know what they're picking up. You don't know what they're taking out. It might be a kid out there doing the complete opposite of what I'm doing. He was like, oh, I like how bad this is. I'm going to take this. So um, I definitely think those those guys definitely play a big role, like you said, especially when you're coming from a single-parent home. Well, and when you think about all the, you know, when there's a void, when there's a – because, you know, like you know this being a dude. When mm-hmm. you're young as a guy, you're either creating or destroying. I mean, the energy yeah, that up. like little boys and, and young men have is either destructive or creative. You can channel it That's one it. way or another. There's very <laughs> right. little in between. Like the in-between happens as you mature as a man. Right. You know, your ability to control emotion, your ability to control – <clears throat> yourself to channel energy into a certain direction and things like that. And, um, you know, the importance of having just a, a male figure, man, like I even think about, I think about this a lot, dude. Like, so, you know, my wife's pregnant, we got a kid on the way. So it's a little girl. Um, I just think about the fact of like how much opportunity this girl is going to have in her right. life solely due to the fact of, that she has a father and a mother that love each other together to raise her. Right. Right. That's bro. That is a huge advantage in life. Totally different. Totally different. Yep. 100%. Like, like, and even just like, I mean, let's just even talk about like her perception of like manhood by simply having a loving father in the household. Right. Totally different. And hopefully we have a son someday where like Mm -hmm. his perception of manhood because of having a father in the household. Right. That again, that like, and it's a healthy relationship internally. It's like, damn, dude, like, like this kid, this kid is just like, 
it's not even a competition. Just, I mean, all she has to do is just like simply apply herself. <laughs> That's, That's it. it. She, she's winning a hundred percent. Yeah. And I, I just got to teach her that. Like we, we just got to teach her that. Um, right. And, and, and went like, that was, I always understood that in my brain. I always understood that was the case, but ever since this little one's on the way, it's the first time in my life that it really hit me. Like, mm-hmm. damn, this is different. Right. Yeah. And, and just the opportunity that comes with it. And yeah, I, I mean, and, and you get to, again, you to a degree get to play some of those roles now training folks where mm-hmm. you get to like tell people like, Hey man, like, Hey bro, don't do that. That's stupid. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> Big on that. Big on that. And one thing I would say about myself, man, is I'm, I'm very personable. Right. And I'm very good at cultivating relationships, whether that's me and you, cause we, you know, we're close to similar, we're similar in age and lifestyle, but I can re- relate to a 15 year old easily. And I, they are comfortable talking to me and I take pride in that and I, and I try not to mess that up. And so I'm always, I wouldn't say I'm walking a fine line because I'm not perfect, but I give them the most realist advice that I probably, I got a little dude, he texts me right now. Can he call me to talk about a girl? Mm. And I'm like, I, I wish I had that when I was his age, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't have nobody to talk to me about girls. My, I just looked and saw what I was seeing and seeing how, you know, my, my big homies, how they was acting. And like, to me, that's how you act with a girl. Right. So yeah. I'm just like, um, I don't know if I told you this, but I'm actually expecting a little one as well. I'm, I'm, I'm about to oh. have a, we are, we're having a little boy in January. So that, Congrats. that just, yeah. Thank you, man. That right there. But that like, to your point, I'm, I want to be the father I never had. Right. Mm. So that, like you said, it hit totally different when you got a little one on the way. And me, I'm always giving advice to this kid or even my friends and family and stuff like that. But now I, I have a chance to cultivate a little one to not only be as great as me, but you know, possibly be greater than me. So mm. like you said, like I, I felt like I've been practicing my whole life for this. So when people ask me, are you ready? I'm just like, yeah. Cause I feel like he one one he doesn't have a choice. He has to listen to what I have to say, right? Us, other yeah, yeah. kids they can take it with a grain of salt or not, but him he's gonna he has to listen to me. He has to you know hold on to the words that I say. Now I really have to be an even better role model and a greater example. So just to, like I said, just to add on to what you were saying, having the family the family together and and just being present that definitely you're winning. Yeah, I mean again, it's just reiterates that and i know we sound like a broken record like it's like we're a, a 1980s like family values commercial or some crap like that but like <laughs> but like yeah like it's it's so it's just important dude like it's just it is, I, mean, 100%. I mean i think about this oh man like this last week broke my heart so so um for folks who don't know there's this rapper out of memphis who just got killed named young Dolph. long and lived Dolph, baby long lived Dolph, r.i.p and um i guarantee you those shooters we're like 19 years old, oh, if that. I wouldn't doubt it. In that I, range. Yeah. Who are stupid enough and impressionable enough to be told by some other dudes. Because here's the thing. Street beef doesn't die. I don't it care. Don't. I don't care. Like, <laughs> if you have been surrounded by any sort of street influence in your life, mm-hmm. and you make any sort of success out of yourself, get the hell out of your city. Always. Straight up. Because you've made you made somebody mad when you were fifteen who was going to try to kill you. Just, exactly. just stop. Um, which is probably kind of is probably what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think about that like, how impressionable do you have to be to to at seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, like pull out a uh, an AR and just blast them to a cookie store? 
empty 50 rounds into a human 50 rounds into a cookie store that means you indiscretionately were shooting into that store like you could have killed a kid you could have killed yeah. whoever whoever was in there i mean think about think about what aspects of life have to get you to that point to where you're willing to do that right and what's crazy is just to add on to your point I, huge dolphin right um his producer is actually from colombia um and, I, and he was like my big homie when we were growing up and but I, I watched a bunch of interviews after that. And just to add on to what you were saying, like uh, they were talking about how some kids just don't have that love in their life. Mm. And they see somebody like Dolph who is loving and, and, you know, they were the, the example I heard was whoever the shooters were, they grandma might've been looking at Dolph on TV, giving away turkeys or whatever he does in the community and might've said a simple compliment about Dolph. And, you know, that young kid probably realized, you know, that ain't me. Why Dolph getting love from my grandmama, but I'm not. And mm. and like you said, yeah. And just to, just to add on to what you were saying, man, like it, you never know who's listening. Once again, you never know what type of impact you're going to have. So whenever I'm coming into impact with anybody or contact, I try to leave, you know, even if it's a simple, hey, how you doing? Handshake, look in the face, shake a firm handshake. That's, that's good. That's a good impression, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 just all of it is is devastating when you look at it within the greater picture. And that's a really good example of the kid mm-hmm. who might not be getting the love from from the grandma because, you know, let's be real. Maybe grandma is not that emotionally mature in the first place. Exactly. Just just because you're old doesn't mean you're like good at life. You ain't got it. <laughs> so, right. Like, right. I know tons of old people who suck at, at existing. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so but there's the emotional aspect of that being your grandma or or whatever. So um really tragic situation. I hope they find hey man, Instagram detectives are working hard, dude. Like oh, hey, yeah, Face- Facebook this is, too. <laughs> this is incredible. This is I mean, I hope they find them. Like I've I've uh you know, I grew up in Memphis. I mean, Dolph went and performed at my sister's uh uh homecoming when she was like and, oh, I know that's and, crazy in in eighth grade so i was already out of memphis when he was he was blowing up see right. the dude that used to sell cds in our parking lot was kia shine uh, way back okay. in the day so got you got you um uh, but it's just yeah it's just tragic i mean you know i've i've been in a red light next to his lambo you know like right. it's i it's, used to i used to go to memphis looking for the camo man <laughs> looking like, for the camo yeah looking for i knew what he drive I didn't, like i said i was a, i was a huge dog fan just because you know, we in Nashville, so country music is a thing here. And I felt like Tennessee didn't have a rapper, but if I had to name one, it was going, it was Dolph for sure. Like I was, like I yeah. said, he was Dolph fan, man. And when I heard it, I was hurt. I was devastated because I was, like I said, when I say I was a Dolph fan, I used to watch Dolph podcasts when he would mm. go on people's podcasts, and I'm listening to his interviews. And Dolph looked like he's street, but he ain't all street. Like he was smart, man. He was super smart. Man, he was. Wise. He was- he was owning real estate all over. He would buy oh, his kids. He had two kids or has mm-hmm. two kids. They're still alive. Um, I don't know how they can't be more than like six or seven each. Right. Um, but he would buy each of them a foreclosure on every one of their birthdays. Right. He owned a couple hundred properties all across Memphis. Like he was, he was, he owned a hundred percent of his masters. Like he was, again, let's not, let's not dismiss the street aspect. Cause if you're from that part, of the world and if you if you're surrounded by those people like those people like it's going to be a complex situation like the streets are going to be involved one way or another because that's where right. you grow up right um but yeah you're right i mean he gave like I, I was telling my wife he uh he gave away one of his i think it was a ferrari to a oh, struggling yeah. to the to the nail salon lady who was pregnant during covid her nail salon right. was shut 
was shut down. So he drove it down to Alabama, gave it to her, and she sold it, uh, posted it on Instagram. He commented on it and said, get that money. Like he was like, yeah, go sell it for 400000 Go take care of your family. Like here's right. a here's a free, you know, luxury car. Um, yeah, so RIP Dolph, man. That that broke real. my heart. Um well, I did not expect to talk about Dolph on the podcast, but here we are. He's everywhere. Uh, <laughs> he really is, man. It's just heartbreaking. Um, all right, man. So we're coming up on time. So I gotta ask you a question. I always ask folks uh okay. when we're wrapping up the podcast. So if you go back to 18-year-old BT, you know, mm-hmm. wide-eyed bushy tail going to Houston, you you realize you've been lied to and that it's actually really hot down there. Um yes. <laughs> like just sweating, sweating to death. Like you're sweating through your jersey. Um, you, you know, you're you're young, you're impressionable. If there's one piece of advice you could give yourself, going back to that 18 year old you, knowing mm-hmm. all that you know now and knowing all that you know about yourself in general, what's one piece of advice you'd give yourself? Stay patient a little bit longer. Mm. Elaborate. Because I, I I I didn't learn. I felt like a lot, some of my decisions were rushed. I felt like they were made hastily. And like I said, right, I'm coming from a single family home. My mom didn't know nothing about recruitment. So I kind of did all my recruitment on my own. Um, I kind of, uh, in college, I got into a relationship really fast. Didn't know a thing about relationships. I didn't think I had a girlfriend like that in high school. So uh wasn't ready for that. Um, like I said, I just felt like some of the stuff I was doing was rushed. And I felt like I was trying to live fast. And I felt like I should have just been living in the moment more. Um, but then again, you know, I, I always felt like I went through what I went through because I knew, or not even that I knew, I knew you know, God was going to put me in a position where I have to relay those messages to the next generation, right? Like I said, I'm about to have a sign. Mm. And now I went through all my experiences so I could tell him what to look for. If he calls me before a relationship or he, you know, he got feeling for a girl, I got that advice for that. I got the advice for sports. I got the advice for school. I got it all. Like I went through all of that and I took those L's and I took those bumps and those bruises. So other people don't have to go through those type of situations. Now, granted, like they, you know, there might be situations that they go through on their own because, you know, that's their path. Right. But like I said, mm-hmm. um, like you, just to answer your question, if I could go back, you know, just just be patient and, and maintain your peace longer. Mm, I love it. How can folks get a hold of you? Uh, you can follow me on Instagram, and I'm always up there just because of the brand. It's uh, B underscore Taylor underscore Gang underscore. Um, of course, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook. All you gotta do is put in Brandon Taylor. But if you if you're struggling, just ask your friend about BT. I guarantee you, they know me, man. <laughs> All right. All right, um, man. Thanks for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate, I appreciate you, you, man. We we no I feel like we, we we had a million different things happen for us to be able to to make this happen. So this was fun. Um. For everybody, manhoodpod.com. All the episodes are out there. Info at manhoodpod.com if you want to get a hold of me, LinkedIn, all that good stuff. I'll put BT's info in the uh, description of the podcast. And outside of that, I hope to talk to you guys soon.